episode of Learned, the podcast, with your hosts, Dr. John Paul and Kevin Allred. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Learn. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. John Paul. And I'm Kevin Allred. <laughs> Kevin, what's cracking? <sighs> Nothing. I've been back in, <laughs> in New York. I was in Utah for almost two weeks, which was... Mm-hmm. Probably a bit too long. Um, what is, what, so I know you, so, well, so everybody, my, yeah, we oh, know about the book, but what were you doing out there? Well, my fam, my parents and one sister still live there. Like this, it's where I'm from. So oh. um, north of Salt Lake City, but I had a book event in, in Salt Lake City, like a little release thing at a bookstore. They did this big cover story on me in the Salt Lake City weekly indie paper which is cool. They had me do some like ridiculous poses for the pictures where I was like reenacting mm-hmm. Beyonce mm-hmm. album covers and things. <laughs> I hate pictures of myself generally, but I was like, oh, that's okay. Whatever. They're there. <laughs> you can see those. Um, and they did like a big long interview with me about everything, not just the book, but like the Rutgers stuff, the you know, all of that. So mm-hmm. we did that. And then I was just hanging out with my mom mostly. My dad um, is, I we don't necessarily get along so well. Um, but he was there. And then I have a niece and a nephew. Um, so yeah, just like family stuff. But it's a small town with very little to do. So no. it was like, and and forget trying to find anything healthy to eat because <laughs> even the salads there are like come with a steak on top of them or, or what have you absurd so, yeah no so but it was it was nice i hadn't been back in quite some time and i think it sparked a little writing about my next the next thing that i'm trying to work on is all about me now so um mm-hmm. i think it sparked a little inspiration maybe i'd had a hard time starting or figuring out how to write anything about myself and this kind of gave me some family will do it every time (laughs) you bring up a memory or something that you're like you know i worked very hard to put that away (laughs) um and now you you gotta go back into it kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) every time i'm around family that is the first thing that always happens Yeah. yeah So, so yeah. I'm glad you made it home safely. Yeah, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> yeah, especially since people are like, hey, there's so much happening on like airlines and just flying, mm. and it's it's always scary to be outside. That's been my the <laughs> thing. It's just it's it's a very scary outside is a very scary place. Yeah. Um. So it's we good are to hear. becoming the purge, but whatever. In a way, yeah. Pretty <laughs> much. In a way, we are. Um. Very much. Unse- it's very unsettling uh, about everything that's going on. But yeah. So other than that, anything else? Uh, no, that's that's me for now. Um, no. What what have you been up to? Yeah, these last few weeks have been busy. So um, I think it's just uh, I always explain to people. So okay, so listeners, um, being an educator is hard, and I I think for me I I, I taken it because I you know I taken a job to teach as a way of being like oh extra income and extra this and extra that and I literally come home every night and I just go, all right. <laughs> it's literally like what I leave my classroom with is just a big, all right. And like a slave sigh. Um, it's just, it's just, it's very much a lot. And so I, I love my students. I don't, I don't want to say anything in case they come across. I had one student find me and that was the thing I always fear. I, I fear when students find me um, in, in the sense of like knowing my social media presence, knowing one student brought up yesterday, she was like, Oh, I saw that you were at the premiere for the black lady sketch. So that is so cool. And I just was like, fuck, I was like, she found me. And so it's just one of those things where it's like, I have to be mindful that like I, as much as I am in entertainment and I write and I do stuff and I'm very much a public figure, I still have to catch myself and remind myself like you teach and you do stuff at the local level. And so I, I lovingly will say, I love my students. And if they listen to the show, thank you for listening. I love you. I appreciate you and giving us the energy. However, um, teaching is hard. Teaching is very, very, very hard. So there's that. Um, but on the other end, there have been some really cool, good things that have been happening on this end. On, like I said, on Friday, 
I did have a chance to hang out with a cast of a black lady sketch show. And we got to mm. watch the very, very first episode. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I've, I've read some reviews of the show. I've read reviews of people, you know, saying the comedy is not for me. And I think this was initially what I was going to make our, our, our topic for this week. And then everything happened with Toni Morrison and that sparked another thing for me to think about. But I was going to say like every, there has been like this thing happening online where people have been like, Oh, it's not funny. And I'm going, okay, it's not funny to you because it might not be for you. That may not be your comedy. Right. So I, I, I like, I was, I'm in this place and I don't know if we want to bookmark it or if we want to get to this, but I think the culture we've created around, you know, people putting their creativity out on the forefront and then social media getting a handle on it. And then folks writing articles about people's crafts and then going, Oh, that was not my taste. It's not good. And I'm going, no, just because you don't mm. like it or just because you don't understand the comedic timing or the comedic genius of the person doesn't mean that the show is terrible. So that's been my take on it. Like there were, there were maybe one or two skits that didn't resonate with me, but I'm not a black woman. So it's not supposed to. However, yeah. the rest of the show was funny. And I will say this, and I will say this both to Quinta's face. Cause I know her, but Quinta is the star of the show. Like it is one of those things where you just have to acknowledge that Quinta is the person who, who literally steals that show. Um, so I'm, I, again, I was very grateful. I will say though, I had a start. So I don't ever really get starstruck anymore, but I got starstruck when Yvette Nicole Brown walked into the room uh-huh. and I love her. I love her. I love her. I love her too, Dad. And she sat literally next to me and just kind of gave me like a hello. And it was, I took all of me, like I had to turn to her and be like, okay, girl. So I'm fangirling right now and I'm really sorry about it. I know I'm supposed to be here working. And she just was like, it's okay. And then we had like a moment of what it's like to like fangirl over people that we, we know and we follow. And it was just a really cool moment but shout out to the cast of black ladies sketch show shout out to Issa for just continuing to open doors for all black women um and for Yvette for being so amazing and cool and for ultimately letting me hang out with her for the most of the evening so um but yeah that's me in a nutshell yeah so. I watched I watched the premiere I thought it was good. like any premiere can be a little shaky because you know or any it's the like first episode pilot, whatever um yeah it's the first episode but I thought it had some really good uh, I loved the that little kind of like fake infomercial about the Pan African or like whatever. Was she that was right? Like, so the one was supposed to be Rachel Dolezal. That's what I got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like not what did it? She was listed as like pre PhD or something. Yeah, and yeah. That was really that had me like really chuckling out loud. Mm-hmm. And the like you said the. The one with Quinta and the dancing, like stealing the dance moves. But then I that, also thought um, Ashley Nicole Black, right? Ashley Nicole yes, Black is one yes, of the. Yes, 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 yes. Um, was funny in that um, spy, the, yeah, the, the, the spy one with the plain face that yes, nobody recognized. Yes. Who is not Nicole Byers? And she made that <laughs> right, very the, clear. She, that Because Nicole Byers came to the event too. And Nicole Byers was sitting like right across the room. And she was like, so for like the millionth time, we are not the same person. We are uh, not. Like we literally are separate people. She's here. I'm here. We are two different people. And so I love that they did that sketch together. Because I think that's the running joke is that, you know, Ashley Nicole is literally Nicole Byers. And they're not the same person right so yeah i thought it was i'm i i am excited to continue watching that like any i mean the same thing with like snl like some sketches hit and some don't and Mm -hmm. it's like a sketch show so yeah 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 and it's and it's pre-planned and like i said too that's the other thing because it's not improv improv tends to be a little bit more funnier i think from my own personal purview like i love improv for the fact that you never know what's going to happen in the sketch, mm-hmm. even when they are trying to stay on cue. Um, but I feel like with the show, because it is scripted and it is recorded, it is still a sketch show, but technically it's a, pre- a pre-recorded right. sketch show. So again, the comedy may not laugh for everybody, but I, I think I'm committed. That's the biggest thing for me. Like I'm just in this place now where I'm going, you know, I need to be more committed to just supporting people's craft, just support to, to support people's craft, whether rather than being critical of it and then dismissing it and then or writing it off and then it becoming like we don't have more opportunities like this mm-hmm. ever before, you know, I mean, ever again, you know, so that's why I was just kind of like, OK, it may not be funny to everybody, but it's funny to me. And it, and it still mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's any less good. So mm-hmm. um, so that was that. But that was ultimately it. And so, um, yeah. And then other than that, we were hit with a very heavy weekend. Um, 
And I didn't want to take up too much time. I'm usually always the one that takes up the space and, and when we talk about these things. So I'm so sorry for um, it to get a little dark and dim. But we do definitely here over at LERT want to send our love and our condolences to anybody who was affected by what happened in El Paso and also the folks who were affected by what happened in Dayton. Um, I know that there was also another shooting Sunday night over in Chicago as well. And so I'm wanting to send our condolences and love to the families that are affected by that as well. Um, I've gotten a lot of people who've inboxed me and said like, oh, well, what can we do or how can we help or how can we support? And I know that it's just looking through like the hashtags and finding um, the different GoFundMes or the different um, calling different representatives and doing different things in that regards of like taking an action could potentially help uh, people heal in different ways. So that's just kind of my my purview on what we can do in relation to that. But yeah, um, so... So this week, what's on the syllabus, Kevin? Well, it's another downer to start with because I guess it was Monday night late or Mm -hmm. I only heard when I woke up Tuesday. I don't know if people also had heard it Monday night. Um, But Toni Morrison, of course, I think the greatest American writer of all time. Like, I don't even know who. I mean, one of the world's greatest writers, truly. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm passed away on Monday, late Monday night. I didn't, I don't, I didn't know if she had been sick or this was something people saw coming. I mean, she, she had lived a long life. She was 88 years old. Not to say that, that you see it coming at 88 either, Right. but I didn't, I I hadn't known that she was sick or anything. So that came as like even more of a shock to me. Mm -hmm. Like even when you know someone's sicker, you can kind of prepare and you know what's coming and you know what's coming anyway because everything must (laughs) Mm -hmm. end at some point all of us um yeah but tony morrison just like one of i don't even know i don't even have like how do you have how does anyone have the words to say what tony morrison meant like she was so perfect with words and then it's like what do you say? Um, yeah. I've just been like going back through some of my favorite books. What's your favorite Toni Morrison? Do you um, have a favorite? So I'll be very transparent and a lot of people are probably going to judge me for it, but I don't Uh-oh. care. I've never, I've never <gasps> delved into Tony's books. Okay. Um, I, 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 I knew who she was and I knew yeah. that people aspired to her as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not really start getting, I had been, cause so the thing is for me, I, I spent a lot of my doctoral program diving into Audre Lorde's work. Mm. And so Tony had come up on the radar here and there, but I never felt like, anything people had mentioned around Toni Morrison had spoke to me up until probably the last couple of months. Um, and then someone, I, like I had said, I had retweeted out the video of, um, of Tony this morning, um, being interviewed by that woman. And that started kind of connecting the dots to who she was and what, mm. what, why her work was so prevalent. Um, and it's, and I think that there needs to be a conversation around that too. And we'll probably get into this in a moment, but I think the frustration and the heart that the heart, the hard pieces that I, have had to deal with as both a black scholar and a black writer and a black figurehead or black person per se in in the media is these ideas of like how growing up for me, I never really had a black author be be offered to me. Like Mm -hmm. I've always had to search out these authors, right? Like I, I just stumbled upon James Baldwin's work probably right as I was finishing my doctoral program in 2015. Um, I only found Audre Lorde because my dissertation chair told me to look at her thoughts and her cons, her concepts on blackness and queerness. And so I've never, so even when we got, when we even being here, I feel like I'm in a, an arena looking at people who are mourning this individual for how great they were and for how off, how for how amazing they wrote and me feeling like, oh my God, I should have read more of this person, but only learning about this person's work probably like six months ago. Like really, yeah, that. So right. I mean, that's an important thing to say because, or, or like put out there too, because it's like never too late to go mm-hmm. read her books, right? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how all these like writers that I love, most of them had had passed away before I came to their work. Or, yeah. you know, and there's a few. And so Toni Morrison was one person who was still like a living writer that I had read and really admired. 
And so that hits you different too than, you know, when you come to a writer and they're already gone, yes, you have all their stuff to read still, but it's like, I guess maybe you have a different relationship to it because Mm -hmm. they're still creating things. Um, Yeah. And I, you know, I wonder what Toni Morrison was working on in the last years. She just had a book of, you know, like uh, essays and speeches come out and stuff, but it was a lot of old stuff from, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, repackaged and republished. So I had heard that she was working on a new novel. I'm sure she was always working on some idea, you know, like I'm, I'm, I wonder what that would have been like. Um, And so, you know, whatever I've, my, my favorite, I went and got like a tattoo today for, that's like, I guess how I grieve. I don't know. I get tattoos, (laughs) a tattoo of one of her, um, uh, quotes from Song of Solomon. That's just the end line that says, "If you could, sur- if if you surrendered to the air, you could ride it." Which is kind of like this lesson at the end of the book. Um, I my real favorite Toni Morrison line is from her book Paradise, which is my favorite mm-hmm. book by her. But it doesn't make a great tattoo because the book just starts with "They shoot the white girl first. No, um, damn. So. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I mean it's a simple sentence, but when you read the the novel, it's it's brilliant in that um, in it's that it's so simple because there's like this group of five. I think there's five, six. It's been a couple years since I revisited the novel, but this group of women, and she spends the entire novel describing them, but you don't know who the white woman is. Like one of mm. them is white, and the other are various complexion shades of black. Um, and she writes the entire novel so that you have to question which one the white girl is. And mm-hmm. people have written, written whole essays about which one they think it is. And she's like, she's never said which, which character is the white girl. And so wow. for me that, that like meditation on race and what it means, um, that line always sticks out to me, but of course it doesn't make it for a good, I mean, maybe it would make a good tattoo. I don't know. Um, but this one is also one of my favorites. So I was, de- I was deciding between that and from Beloved, You, Your Best Thing, which is something I think Paul D. says to Setha, the main character, where she's saying, like, Beloved, her, her child was her best thing. And he says, no, you, your best thing, Setha. Um, wow. It's re- so anyway, so I've just been, like, thinking a lot about her, um, thinking about her, a lot of her writing and the way she, like, you were talking about, you know, Issa Rae handing off this new show like you know Toni Morrison was like that in the writing world she made space for other black women she she wrote for black women um and she spent her whole life writing I don't know the exact quote from her but she's like I I'm so precise with my language because I want to be sure that none of my work centers the white male gaze or the white gaze specifically she said I want everyone to have to come like it, it was all an exercise for her to decenter whiteness. Mm. And if you are white, you have to enter her books from a different place and you still yeah. learn so much. You know, there's a lot of good tweets going around being like, yes, Toni Morrison wrote for black women. That doesn't mean white people can't learn from can't it. Learn from it. Like, and don't, I think, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't say, Oh, she wrote for everyone. She didn't write for everyone. She very specifically, mm-hmm. it's kind of what I, I say about Lemonade too by Beyonce. It she made Lemonade for Black women, but she also made it in such a way that everyone Other can learn can something. From it. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just how you enter it. It's kind of it's that thing about the gaze again. So Toni Morrison, I just I think was so masterful at at that and changing people's perspective by forcing them to change their perspective even if they want to read the, her book she didn't give you the option as a white person if you want to read her book you are coming at it from this place and you are also going to be called out and you are going to feel uncomfortable and you are going to do all these things but by the end of the book you will have learned something and hopefully can empathize in a different way that's not so surface level i guess yeah um, and i think I yeah, I you hit on a few points that made me, I, I, as I'm listening to you talk, there were a couple of aha things for me. And so to get people kind of, again, you know, we've gone back several episodes where we talked about religion and things. And so I know people who were like introduced to Toni Morrison, like, you know, I have friends who said, oh, I was introduced to her in high school. 
you know, that would have never happened for me because I, I, there was no way I could have read anything that was not religious reading. Like there were readings even in, in school that I was assigned that my mother told me, you need to tell your teacher, you can't read that. So, you know, I think about that a lot too, of like how that was a big part, part of me in terms of how I feel about readings and what I do know and what I don't know. But I also, I've been watching a lot of people, you know, talk about Tony being so, and this is something that I picked up just in the last couple of weeks of just even learning who they were, knowing that their documentary came out, knowing that they had, you know, you like you had said, there, there was just an article I was just reading today that I found a lot of comfort. And there was an article that was a part of a, a bigger series in 2015 where they were pulling excerpts from their work and they were basically talking about um you know, how, how, and, and this is ultimately where we were, where we were going to go with this conversation, but how do you ultimately decenter whiteness in a world where, um, stories of black people are oftentimes from the eye or from the purview of the white experience. And so she goes through and she starts talking about that. And then also thinking about how exhausting that can be and being intentional about removing yourself from spaces where you feel like you have to explain who you are as a black person to white people. So there was a whole article about that. I forget the title of the article. I saw it come up on Twitter, but I do know for myself, like just knowing that Tony was so instrumental in a lot of the ways that black activists think of their work and how black activists do their works is enough for me to say, okay, when I get off, when I get off of the, not necessarily the phone, but when I get off of this, you know, recording, when we stop recording, I need to go to Amazon and have a whole bunch of books that I need to order before Mm -hmm. I I leave so I can read them on my flight. Um, However, I also think that there's a larger conversation around too. And this was what I brought up when we were talking about what this episode was going to be, was talking about how, you know, and and again, I had tweeted this out, how, even you, and I think this is, again, a great place for us to kind of move this conversation, right? We know Toni Morrison's work was influential in your writing, and I'm hoping that one day their work will be extremely influential in my writing as well, um, because I've even struggled with what you just named, this idea of like, when I write, I get asked a lot to write about a lot of Black and queer, Black, you know, queer, whatever. Like, I get asked to write a lot about marginalized experiences, and I always tell myself, these days, I don't want to write about it from the, the vantage point of me having to educate a white person. Um, I want my article to be centered in my truth as a black queer person and however a person reads it and take what they take from it is what they take from it. But my job is not to educate you or to put you in a place where you feel like you, you can quote unquote learn from me, right? Like I don't want to go into my writing that way anymore. Um, so I say all of that to say, I think the other conversation that we were kind of left with after looking at Tony is now moving into this place of like, what are the risks that someone like Tony takes by saying, I'm going to decenter whiteness in my work? And I had tweeted about that. I said, this whole entire week, I had been extremely tired. And it really started on Friday. Like once I left the, um, I had left the, the event in Los Angeles, I was driving home and it was almost like I was doing good. And then I was in the car and then like, I just got this overwhelming sense of like, I am so tired and I can't figure out what it was. And so the last couple of days have gone by and I've heard people say certain things. And then again, last night on Pose, Pray Tell said something and it kind of hit me like a tidal wave this morning that a lot of the reasons why I am so tired is because I am constantly having to navigate every single decision, every single paper, every single article, every single, even in my class, right? This idea that I can be teaching and a white professor will walk past my classroom and I will instantly think, is he listening into what I'm teaching and and judging me based off of that? Like this concept of like how whiteness is so pervasive and the control it has on the way that we do our work and how Tony and her work was so radical that she could step back and say, fuck whiteness, fuck white people, fuck white supremacy. Um, but literally, that's literally how she basically laid it out for people and said, I can still make a living. I can still survive. I can still thrive in that. And so I you know, what, would love to get your thoughts on that because like I said, as much as it has happened to me as a black person, I think it is also really, I wouldn't say cool. I hate using the word cool, but I think there's a lot to be learned from somebody like yourself who saw whiteness playing and they saw whiteness becoming a very large thing moving around them in academia and spoke out against it and lost something from it and is now kind of like us. Like we, we both text each other a lot about what we're doing to keep each other 
going. Like you're now having to rebuild after whiteness came after you. So that's kind of where my mind was after learning that she had passed away and learning more about her work. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. I mean, Hmm. it's a lot. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just, I mean, I liked what you, you were, you had posted that clip that's been going or there's so many, if you haven't read Toni Morrison's interview, like her novels are one thing, but then, you know, you read her interviews or see her interviews that are filmed. There's a lot of interviews and and speeches you can get. And the, the book that she, that was just released not too long ago, earlier this year called the source of self-regard. Um, it's like her collected speeches and things. Um, and, and they give you like this, it's her talking about how she, what her intentions were and are, and you know, she didn't, she's fascinating on so many different levels because, you know, she didn't publish her first novel until she was 39. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I always thought about because I'm very close to that age when I, not that I'm publishing anything like Toni Morrison is, but like my first book came out, I was like, you know, you're not too, no one's too old. You're never too old because like, you know, she had this whole career. She raised her children. She was an editor at Random House and she was editing. She was like getting work by black women out there even Mm -hmm. before her own work came out there. And then she puts her first book out and she's 39. And then she has this whole second life as an author. Um, You know, and Toni Morrison is her her pen name it's not her name and you know it's it's not who she necessarily was there's this whole thing i just happened to be reading the james baldwin interviews and he started talking a lot about tony morrison and it was all on the same day like yesterday and i was like Ooh, mm-hmm. this is all too much coming together all at once because um, yeah. i had started the book of james baldwin interviews before i heard the news about this you know but he was talking about how writers and artists are seen as celebrities i don't even know where i'm going with this now i'm just babbling um i just have to you know in some sense, they become a celebrity, but you can't be an artist when you're a celebrity because then yeah. you're too too involved in the the idea of who you are versus who you are. And like thinking about that with Toni Morrison and, you know, she was born Chloe Wofford and that's how she thought of herself. But we think of her as Toni Morrison. Toni, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was reading some someone had posted an excerpt from an interview and it's like, what do you what do you most hope to be remembered for? Um, and I don't, this wasn't, I don't think it was recent. It was a while ago that she'd said this and she's like, I want to be known as trustworthy and, you know, honest. And, and the interviewer was like, what you're like one of the greatest writers of all time. And you're saying trustworthy. And she's like, Oh, you want to know what Toni Morrison wants to be remembered for? I'm talking about what Chloe wants to be remembered for. (laughs) Like as a person, she just wanted to be known as being trustworthy among her group of friends and like this difference, the the ability to do both those things is so rare. Like James Baldwin is one, even though he had his moments where he, he flubbed and yeah. Yeah. But like the celebrity of who James Baldwin is and then how he would call himself Jimmy, you know, Mm -hmm. and not, not a lot of people can do that. It, It gets to their heads. It, not to always bring Beyonce back up, but like one of her things she does is tries to keep the celebrity and the person separate, mm-hmm. um, I think. And, you know, we don't know a lot about how it goes because we don't see her behind the scenes, but I think that's one of her ways of managing. And so some of these like really huge talents, the, their ability to have done that is really remarkable because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. some people get full of themselves and, you know, Nicki Minaj, and then Nicki they all Minaj, start. They keep Nicki writing Minaj. the same book or putting out the same song mm-hmm. over and over mm-hmm. again. Because you know, I mean, someone like Madonna, right? Yeah, um, Madonna was really creative and artistic and cutting edge for and a while, and then she hit yeah, and then she hit a wall, and she was Madonna now, mm-hmm. and not and like none of her music since then has been interesting to me. <laughs> um, but true. It's probably like the ray of light era. Uh, yeah. was the turning point. It ended um, for her after Ray of Light, yes. Yeah. 
Um, mm. I don't know why what I'm saying now, but this is like no. I think you bring up <laughs> no, 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 no. I think you're bringing up a really good point. I think a big part of it, and this is something too. Like I think, you know, I think when you when you can separate, I think what you're really trying to say, and this is what I'm gathering, and I might be right, and I might be wrong, <laughs> but I think what I hear you saying a lot of is it's something that I think a lot of us think about, right? Like how we 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 want something and we aspire for something, and then we get it, and then we don't know how to maintain it. And I think Tony in a lot of ways taught us how to basically say, like, if I'm going to be a person who focuses on truth telling, or if I'm going to be a person who focuses on sharing my truth with the world, I have to make sure that I don't get so caught up with the, the pieces that come with the creative Mm -hmm. process that keeps me from speaking my truth, the authentic way that I want. And that's why I think I, I struggle a lot with, because I hear people, my bigger thing had become around my bigger thing or my thought process around this whole conversation was, you know, about the risk that come with that. And so when you look at someone like them that can say, I'm Chloe when I'm at home, but I'm Tony when I'm on the, on the stage, you know, that's kind of a lot like me. Like I, I tell people all the time and people laugh and I think people don't really understand why I do it, but I'm so particular about why, about letting people call me Jonathan. And it's a thing. It's, it's, it really is a thing when I'm out and about and I'm on the stage and I'm doing stuff, I am Dr. John Paul, or I am John, right? Like that is what I'm, that's who I am. Jonathan is different for me. Mm -hmm. Like Jonathan is, Jonathan is a very different person. Jonathan is not even who you get. Jonathan is at home. Jonathan is with his husband. Jonathan is when I'm with my friends, like Jonathan is a very different individual. And so I think about that a lot in the sake of the work that we do, but also too, like, and this is what I think that this, where I'm going with this, this point is that I think separating the two is what keeps a person sane. And I think for Tony, knowing what was at stake for her and knowing what was happening around her coming up, um, during the time that she came up in, and even now, right. Like passing away at a time where everything is so viscerally hateful, I think in order to stay balanced, in order to actually stay humble or even to just stay sane, you have to separate yourself in that way. You have to say, I can't get so involved with what's happening around me that I lose myself. And I I, I think that that's something I've always, or at least learning about her work, that's something that I look to aspire to is how do I do this work and not lose myself in the process of it. So... Yeah, this and now I'm just spinning out into a weird direction because I think I wonder if there's like race and gender uh not an application of this but a uh, um I mean you have to protect yourself in a different way yeah. when you're a black woman, when you're a black person, when you know mm-hmm. cuz I kind of feel like as a white person I need to be the same in both places. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, or else I'm doing a disservice to what I'm trying to speak against. Yeah. So it's basically like you, you have to be anti-racist at home and you have to be <laughs> anti-racist when you're out and out and about. Does that make Right. Is that what I'm, I mean? Is that what I, you're getting at? Yeah. But like also that like the survival, the, and I'm not trying to make this sound like a negative thing at all, like that I'm saying, no, I oh, poor that. me, I'm trying, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think for white people, and I won't just say me, I'll say like a white artist, say, if you want to be a writer, an artist, whoever, there's something about having to, needing to be the same. You know, you can't be one Kevin at home and one Kevin anywhere else because what comes along with it's, it's the privileges that come with whiteness. You have to keep that. I mean, I guess there's a a way that you can still do that like survival. But for me, I, I, I I don't want to be a different person on stage than I am all the time than I am on Twitter being kind of a smart ass and saying things that get me in trouble a lot of the time. But doing it anyway, um, Mm. And I think for me, that's been one of the ways that I try, like, try and tell myself that is necessary to, to keep fighting against all of these things because I have so much privilege in a lot of ways. Um, I wonder if there's something about that, that the necessity for, you know, the two different versions is something born out of white supremacy for people who are non-white. Yeah. And and for white people, it's very important that we don't separate the identities 
I don't know. Does this make any sense? No, it does. So, I mean, like I said, I think the way I'm processing it, the way that I'm hearing it is you're ultimately saying like, it is imperative that if a person is talking the talk on and out in the street, they need to be also walking the walk when they're at home. Um, and I don't know if that's ultimately what you're getting at, but I even think that there's still a sense of that for me too, right? Like I can't be online going, you know, we have to support trans people. We have to help trans people. We have to love trans people. And then I get home and I don't know anybody who's trans, right? Like I have to, (laughs) like, I have to make sure of that. But I also think like what your, your greater, I think a big part of it comes down to, and I think this is what I, I grasp in some of the videos that I've watched from Tony, what I grasped from her was this ultimately this, this idea of like, understanding and knowing and rec- and and recognizing the space that you take up in every single space that you're in and like even her checking the woman's like the video that that's been most popular yeah. her checking that woman in that sense right a lot of folks could turn around and be like oh that was a really rude or mean things for her to say like she didn't have to come at this woman this way i think that she tony was so aware of her space and so aware of who she was and aware of how she embraced and how she, you know, came across to the world, she wants everyone to be that way. And, and, and that means, again, both at home and not, right? You need to be aware of the space that you take up. And so. Yeah. And for white people, that also means challenging those spaces. I mean, it does, like, mm-hmm. she's challenging the space too, but in some ways she's not challenging it because she's existing in a space mm-hmm. where she is the center. And that question doesn't come with the power that Mm -hmm. it would otherwise. So she's just very nonchalantly like, you don't understand how powerful of a racist question that is. Mm -hmm. She tells Mm -hmm. her that she doesn't say, do you think this is a racist question? Like, no, she's the mm-hmm. one because she's kind of reorganized. I mean, this isn't this is metaphorical, not like she obviously hasn't structurally reorganized the United States, um, but she's existing in that space. And so for for white people, like it's all about constantly challenging mm-hmm. that default power that's given. And I don't even mean in the way that just means like stand back and pass the mic like those are all good things to do too but it's it it, there needs to be an active component of it i guess that's what i was really getting at with this like not i that i can't be one kevin in one place and one in a different place and i think for white people that's something that needs to be you know you you can't be on the stage doing a certain thing and then and then go home and then and take a nap and that's (laughs) i I, the last that i just tweeted out i tweeted out i saw somebody i don't know if it's forget what Arquette it was, was one of the Arquettes had tweeted something out about being sorry about being white. And I said, or yeah, she's the, she's the, I was going to say they're all actors. Um, she's, Mm -hmm. she's the The one one that got in trouble at the Oscars that one year for probably like saying we stood up for the gays. We stood up for black people. Now it's your time to help women or Patricia oh. Arquette, I think she said that. Way. Probably. Is she the one from the one with the, uh, she was on the uh, Hulu show? Is that oh, her? yeah, I'll, I'll look in, like, the, the act. The the mom that was yes, messing yes, up yes, her yes. kid. Yeah, yeah, that's her. Yes, yeah, so the act. So, yeah. And that's, you know, I, I ultimately, in a very nice way, when I saw the tweet, I just basically said, like, Black people, marginalized people, and I think this is what a lot of what Tony was trying to say, like black people, marginalized people, we don't care that you have privilege. Like we don't really sit around and go, you know, that's some bullshit that we don't have privilege. And at least for me, I, I can only speak for myself when I say I don't sit around and throw a fit about privilege. What I get frustrated by is the white people who apologize for having it and don't do anything behind it. And I think that that's ultimately what I feel like a lot of her statements and a lot of her work and a lot of a lot of other great influential people who are inspired by Toni Morrison are trying to bring white people to task around. We don't really care that you, you know, that you're at the front of the race. We know it's unfair. We know it's been this way. We comprehend that this is how it's going to always be. However, it's about, you know, instead of you standing there and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, please, you know, don't, you know, please don't be mad at me for having privilege. It's like, girl, do something like use your privilege to help open a door for somebody else or use your privilege to help dismantle. Like I I put that down, like, 
you know, stand up and start to, you know, um, you know, stop, you know, stop crying about it, you know, start dismantling. That's literally what I need, what I need from white people. And so I love that. I love your point about this idea of like, I can't be one person at home and I can't be another person when I'm out on the street because you recognize as a white person, your responsibility means that you are always ready to go to war, regardless of what space that you're in. And I respect that. And I think that that's also something I've had to justify in people saying, well, why are you doing a, a podcast where you talk about black or you talk about this with another white person and I'm going because Kevin is a great example of what it means to actually be doing work, what it means to be centering, you know, using privilege to help educate other individuals. And I'll be very transparent too. Like I sometimes can't have these conversations with black people. Like I know it's, it's terrible, but it's a true thing. Like when I start getting into really deep conversations around identity and wanting to dive deep into conversations around polls and how problematic certain things become, there are some black individuals who really are like, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm black and I'm queer, but I'm not ready to go there yet. And I love that any concept or anything I bring to you, you're like, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's, we have to. And so not, and again, I don't say that to be biased and I don't say that to be discriminatory, but I think about it from the, the, the vantage point of like, what is, I think, Coming back to Tony, ultimately, like she's challenging us all to ask the question, like, what are we truly doing around the shit that we've been dealt? And ultimately, Tony was about reclaiming. For me, I've always felt like just watching her and learning about her in these last couple of months of me knowing who she was is that her work and her voice and her experience and her story, she said, I'm going to own that 110% and I'm going to take up every single space every space that I'm in, I'm going to take that space up because I deserve that. Um, and I'm also about that life too. Like if you want to throw hands, we can throw hands. Like I I felt like in many interviews, she was ready to stand up and fight somebody, which I'm here for. So like, I just think about that a lot, you know? Well, and she was known for being honest, uh, bluntly honest, um, even to like, you know, friends and colleagues about, their work or whatever she was like no we have to get it right it has to be Mm -hmm. done right or else it can be reclaimed by well that's another thing the way that if if she didn't and i'm i'm just speaking i i haven't read this particularly in an interview by her but it seems to be that she was so precise because she knew if if you were just like one millimeter off then what you'd produced the art that she created could be reclaimed and repurposed by white supremacy and white culture. And in some ways yeah. they've tried, but if you actually read her books, or we've tried, I should say, they, I'm just talking about the system, I know I'm white. Um, <laughs> people are trying, and that's what is kind of the impulse behind these tweets. Oh no, she wrote for everyone. She wrote about the, no, she didn't. the human experience. Well, that's true if you want to also admit that the human experience should center black people. Right. Versus, but you don't want to admit that part. So no, she didn't write about your human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are things to learn and, and, and lessons that can be more generalized from her work, but her characters were particular black people um, mm-hmm. with a particular histories. And yeah, that can't be divorced from her. I mean, I would, I would argue that the, that, you know, slavery is the defining American thing. So all American literature should be dealing with that dynamic, mm-hmm. even though, you know, Oh, well it was, it's over now. Or, or what, what else do people love to say? Well, my ancestors. That was in the past. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it's still the overarching dynamic of our world, our country. Mm-hmm. And so it needs to continue. And that's what she did in her work. That was the center of her work, not this weird uh, white individual man, Mm -hmm. usually kind of like Mm -hmm. making his way through and pulling himself up and making his dreams come true. That's not what her American, the origin of America is in her work. And it shouldn't be, if you want to call things American literature, they should deal with the actual American issues, yeah. yeah, the actual issues at the heart of America, and that, and that doesn't mean white people can't write them. Um, they just need to also begin from. We just need to also begin from those same issues. There are a mm-hmm. lot of ways to deal with 
to write novels and stories and tell our own stories that also go back to that, even if our ancestors didn't own slaves, even if it's in the past, even if, right, that was part of Beloved, is that the past is never the past. Um, it continues to come back over and over again. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. I won't claim to know everything Beloved's about. People have written full other books on what Beloved, <laughs> yeah. how they interpret Beloved. Um mm. But, you know, this it's that's just that's one of the like profound lessons that I always have taken from her writing Um, Mm. and things that I try and think of myself. You know, how do I I am white. How do I also try and decenter whiteness in my own writing? Or is it it's not to not write and let someone else write, although everyone should, you know, there should be a plethora mm-hmm. of voices. It's to still write and use that writing to also shift something the way she she did. I can't do it the way she did, but find my own yeah. ways to do it. You know, in teaching, it was it was assigning all works by Black women um, mm-hmm. and trying to deciding not to lecture but to use questions and more conversations. Right, and nothing's a perfect strategy, but that's what I'm interested in. And I think I learned that whether I knew it at the time or not from Toni Morrison, also from Audre Lorde um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of other writers that have taught me things, but I feel like I talk a lot more about the other writers that have, I've learned from, and I haven't talked as much in my writing and especially about this book, even though Toni Morrison is a big part of my book um, in a chapter on beloved and Beyonce's deja vu. Uh, I I hadn't talked about her enough. I don't know if that's because I took it for granted that she was still around writing books or mm. or what. But you know that's why that's another reason these past couple of days have been hitting me really hard. Um, but it's also it's sad and it's not sad because like her work is never going anywhere, and she had right. a long productive life. Well, I don't want to use the word productive, actually, because that's like capitalist. She had a long, meaningful life. <laughs> I think and I think what's even more big for me about this whole thing around her is knowing that she inspired a legion of people to 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 be to come forward about their own journeys and their own experiences. I've been watching some of the writers that I look mm. up to. You know, I have an editor friend who works over at Bitch Media who, you know, did a thread about how Tony inspired her to become a, an editor as a writer, right? Like thinking about how important it was for her as a black woman to be an editor at a very prominent place. And, you know, what it's like to process your own lived experience through, you know, the book that she's writing and inspiring other individuals to go off and get degrees. You know, I have friends, you know, black women friends who have gone off to get degrees based off of a book that they wrote from Toni Morrison. Um, and it is, you know, I see all of this on my timeline and it's just, it's amazing. And it's invigorating to me as a black queer individual to say like, she may not be here anymore, but the legacy of her work will continue to inspire the way I continue to do my work, uh, the ways that I continue to push back, you know, moments when I felt like I, you know, there, and like I said, I've had a couple of these moments these last couple of weeks where, you know, I felt like I was too black or I was being too stubborn in the way that I saw different things in my own lived experience. And then, you know, seeing Toni Morrison say, I'm going to own my blackness in a way that nobody else is going to take away from me. That just reinvigorated me to say, well, nope, now you're just going to get even more blackness, right? Like now I'm going to be even more black. Um, And I I think that that's the thing that I I love is, is that while their work was thought provoking and while it was invasive and while it took up a lot of, of people's energy because it may have been very hard to read, or it may have been a topic that people may not wanted to delve, to delve into or wanted to do, you know, as black people, specifically as marginalized people, we oftentimes have a way of sweeping hard conversations under the rug because we've been taught to cope. Like that's the only thing we know Mm -hmm. how to do. And I love that Tony, you know, James, Audrey, um, all these, these very, very prominent black or even black and queer writers have taught us this sense of vulnerability. And I think that that's the thing I'm left with. Like, as hard as it is, because like I said, I, I, I again, I tweeted a lot these last few days that I had tweeted, you know, I normally start my talks by calling ancestors into the room and I never thought I'd ever have to say Tony's name. Mm. Um, and, and I think about that a lot, like 
I still am comforted in knowing that Tony wrote for me and wrote for people like me and vote and, and, and as teaching or their work will teach people who may not look like me or may not fully understand me how to understand me, if that makes sense, how to work with me or how to, how to de-center their own whiteness in their own ways. And I just, I just love that, that that's there. Like, I love that we have that in the midst. We can Google it. We can go online. We can read excerpts. We can go get books. We can order from Amazon. Like, there's all these ways that we can stay connected to Tony, even though Tony's no longer here. Um, and like I said, I, I, I may not have read everything that they, they wrote, but I felt the little excerpts that I would, that I did get in the little things that I did see in my, in, you know, in my time of knowing about who Tony was, um, it really has moved me to understand the importance of like why I need to continue to keep writing the way that I do and why I need to keep doing my work the way that I do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Ah, well, yeah, another, another topic, another, another conversation that can be very hard for people to digest. Um, so we, you know, we thank you. Um, again, like I'm, I'm sure Tony's people will probably never hear this. And if they do, I want them to know that we thank them for all that they've done for us and uh, continue to do so. Yeah. So you got any pet peeves or anything, any playground antics Uh on your mind? I don't have anything off the top of my head. I was just mostly annoyed by people in Utah um, (laughs) the last while that I was there. Like, I'm obviously, I mean, I guess I stand out a bit because I'm heavily tattooed Mm -hmm. now. And (laughs) uh, for a while, I was walking around with a fuck Trump hat on, too, in Utah while I was there. (laughs) Or like, you know, a a pro-abortion T-shirt or whatever. I brought all my good T-shirts and things to, like, piss off the Mormons. Um, But just, like, watching people see me like (laughs) and like follow and be like what the hell is going on there it just reminds me that because living in new york yes there are trump supporters in in new york city but also in like other parts of new york but you sometimes forget that about those other places that are so small and people's thinking hasn't really changed much in decades um i mean this isn't like a a huge lesson for a lot of people because they deal with it all the time. But mm-hmm. just going back there and feeling that again, like what I felt like when I was 15 or 12 or, and, and at, at that point there was no like visible thing about me that would cause people. It was all internal yeah. being like, Oh, I'm gay. And what are these people thinking of me? Um, going back as an older person and seeing them, people like watch me, but, but also being like, fuck you. I don't care. Uh, and like staring back at them, uh, I guess it's not a, a, a thing that pisses me. What well, is a thing that pisses me off? That people are just so close-minded that they act like this and they treat other people differently, and they stare at anyone that looks different. It's just like get over yourselves. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. We always come back to mind your business, mind but your I, business. I I hear. But even living where I live in California, so I like to always put people up on game that California, one, if you think California is a sunshine state and you <laughs> feel like this is the best place to live, please don't come here. Um, we, Our traffic is terrible. Racism is just as pervasive here as it is anywhere else. Um, it's just very much masked in a different way. But people oftentimes here, even for me, I'll be in a store and, you know, I you can tell. like even And this is the other thing. I, random, I, I, I really don't want to go on this long tangent, but I'm going to say this too. Like, people who don't teach their children that people are different. So, like, mm. even thinking about, like, I have been places and I've had children come up to me and be like, are you a boy or a girl? And while I don't mind having that conversation with, with a child, I need your child not to come up to me and ask me that question. Like your child should have enough home training to know that you don't walk up to strangers that ask questions about gender unless you know them. Like my niece who's nine or 10 
will now start having, has now started asking questions about me and my partner because her mother, even though she's my niece, has trained her to not ask certain questions, right? And so I think about that a lot. Like, I just wish that people were better about, one, minding their own fucking business, but also making sure that they mind, their children mind their business too. Yeah, so. that's true. And it just popped back into my head. One thing that did actually really piss me off it's not something any well it is something she did kind of, but I I on the off weird chance saw someone I went to high school with while I was there. Not planned. Like, uh. I was taking my niece to this to meet a friend and they were having this like swim night at the outside pool, but it was like a Mormon they have like okay, so if you know Mormon stuff, they have the people you go to church with are like your ward and then within the then like a few words together in geographic boundaries is a stake like s-t-a-k-e no yeah i guess it would be that spelling but whatever and so like that's how it's grouped like city state country like that kind of thing Uh Um, so it was like the steak pool night and i hear someone go oh kevin hi and i was like oh shit what and i turn (laughs) and it's this girl who i was like really 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 good friends with in high school and you know we we sat around like we railed on the mormons we hated our upbringing we you know she was like felt like a kindred spirit kind of thing um she knew that i was gay i mean not at first but then i came out and and she was like anti-establishment whatever so we're really good friends she had gotten a bunch of tattoos before i ever got tattoos she had gotten tattoos like full leg tattoos anyway i turn and see her First of all, it's jarring because she didn't have, she had had a lot of the tattoos removed, it looked like, because I could see her legs and they weren't there anymore. Yeah. And she was at this Mormon thing with a guy and two kids, like her husband and two kids. And I really resented the fact that, like, you know, it was just like a high school performance for her to be anti Mormon, anti establishment, like be really good friends with me, know who I am, and then return to that church that is so hateful towards someone like me. And so many other people. Um, I don't really have any grand thing to say about this, but it just like really pissed me off because it felt like, and I have, there's other friends like growing up in Utah, this happened more than once. Like there were other friends who rejected the church, but then they've come back to it. And they used to say, that's how I would feel too. (laughs) That didn't happen. But it's like, it, you got to wear this like little, it's like, you know, how the, they do the Amish thing where they can go away for a while and do drugs, do whatever you want. And then if you come back, it, it feels like that kind of thing. It's unofficial for these Mormon kids, but they get all this like, I don't know. They And then they just go back and now they want to be my friend still. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't think so. Everything you stand for hates me. So yeah, what are you talking about? Anyway, that was just like a weird because I never expected to see her again. We hadn't ta- we haven't talked forever. But the last I knew of her was very, was the same girl I knew from high school. And then I was, it was very shocking to see. And I realized I resented it a lot because it ha- it's happened with a few people. I'm like, if you really supported me, if you're really there for what you said you were there for back then, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be doing this. Right. You um, would have left, you would have left, yeah, you, you would have yeah. left the church. Yeah. I mean, I went through mm-hmm. this with my own family and now thankfully most of them have left and support me, but my mom used to say, like, I never understood why you said I couldn't support you and still be part of the church. And now she gets it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to everybody whatever. eating Chick-fil-A, the same concept. Yeah, same Chick-fil-A. concept. Or you today, cannot lo- today we heard all about Equinox, Equinox mm-hmm. and SoulCycle and their the owners yeah, having a, baby. A, a big old rally for Trump. C- cancel your, you know, it's not worth it. It's not. Mm-hmm. Don't give that money to these people. That was like the capitalist turn of it, but you can, yeah. So whatever. What's bugging no, you? No, you're not wrong at all. And I could talk about this for days, honey. My <laughs> husband just—we were talking about that last night. I was making. I made a comment. And he was like, "Well, you know, Amazon's terrible too." And I'm I like, know. "Well, where in the hell am I going to get my shit from?" Like, I just <laughs> at this point, like, what am I going to do? Like, everybody supports Trump. Like, it sucks. Like, I should just leave the country. But um, overall, no. The thing that's bugging me is a little. I wouldn't say it's 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 less heavy because it's still it, it it's a thing that still bugs me so um i have a peeve and i don't know why i have it but i cannot stand when people back in 
that is literally (laughs) the bane of my existence is seeing somebody take their time to like you're driving and they like see the parking spot and it's just easy for them to just swoop into it the regular way to go all the way out of their way to pull in to back in and it just it i don't know why it drives me up the wall but it does um and I, it also bugs me when people don't know how to do it well, so they're going out and in and out and in and out. And, yeah, they're trying to get into it. And it's like, if you don't know how to back in on the first first time you attempt it, then you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So that's just one of my – I don't. it's it's nothing major. It's it's very menial <laughs> and it's very petty. But I well, – It doesn't save any time because nope. you either – it's either then or when you leave, like, and actually it's easier to back out of the position probably than back into it anyway. It sure is. Yeah. It's, it really is. There's, so some, it's just, it, there's some streets in New York where you have to do that, where they're like, uh, maybe it's same in California, the parking spots are angled. So at least then it's actually easier, not as hard to back in, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's so, I don't know. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's a very strange compulsion that some people have to yeah and i see people who do it here because where i live we have we have garages and so people will come into the complex and then they get to their garage and then they will spend an hour trying to back into their garage and i'm like girl why like you just pull into the garage you would save me (laughs) and everybody else behind you a million hours for you trying so it's just stupid it's just so stupid and i don't understand why people do half of the things that they do, but that is one of the things I will never comprehend um, ever, like ever. So yeah, so that's that on that. Well, do you have any announcements for our listeners? Nope, I'm fresh out after my big Mm. Utah trip. Yeah, ooh, child, (laughs) I can just imagine, because Utah as a whole sounds like it's just a lot. I was there during Pioneer Week too, which is their celebration of when the pioneers, the Mormon pioneers got... They act like they're persecuted because they got, Mm. like, thrown out of New York. But that's because they were, you know, trying to scam people with their religion. Anyway, so then they act persecuted that they, like, got pushed across the country. And so they celebrate Pioneer Day, which is the 24th of July. And they all dress up like pioneers. And they carry covered wagons up and down the streets. And they do fireworks, like, bigger than 4th of July. It's very weird. Mm. So in one sense, I was like, oh, God, not this. But then in another, I was like, this is so weird. Like, I want to watch it. Mm -mm. So strange. But, yeah. Yeah. White people. (laughs) Okay. So um, as things unfold, did you see this? um, So we were just, we rarely just talked about it. I don't want to take too much time, but Soul Cycle just... um, put out a statement oh. um, over Mr. Ross being a passive investor and not involved in the management of soul cycle. So they're, they're doing damage control for everybody who's not following mm-hmm. the story. Um, there was a journalist who leaked a whole bunch of names of individuals who were tied into like Trump's investments and in his campaign. And ultimately a lot of individuals are mad about it, but one of those individuals was wrapped up in soul cycle. And so them, like a few other places that I'm watching, um, have been putting out statements all morning, basically trying to clean up their act and, and basically say, we're not racist. We just want your money. So, um, yeah, there's that. Right. I mean, you'd think you could get an investment from someone who doesn't have uh, fundraisers for Trump, too, though. Like, there are also rich people that don't like Trump, like, that could mm-hmm. give you an investment. So that doesn't I still mm-hmm. I still don't like it. Like I'm still not gonna go. Look, I was never into soul cycle soul cycle, the idea of it. So now I have another excuse for not going. But isn't it wasn't it made popular by black people? Because soul cycle is the idea of like R and B on like a on a bicycle, right? Well, I don't know if it's always R and B, but there are like because I think some people do like punk rock, so soul cycle. Anyway. So it's like it's music like whatever that music the, the leader. Into. Yeah. Um, mm. And I know Beyonce was big into it for a while. Maybe she'll be done with it now too. I hope so. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like listening to music on a stationary bike and having someone yell like, go, go, go. That's what I imagine. And like disco yeah. lighting. 
See, it will. I, 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 disco lighting is cute, but I can't deal with anybody yelling at me oh, while no. I'm at the gym. I already don't want to fucking be there in the first right, place. Right. So the idea that somebody's yelling at me to keep going—that's why I could never do a boot camp. I have had people all the like. I and as you've been following me, all listeners and other people, as you've been noting, I've been very much into my fitness these days. And I get a lot of people who are like, "Oh, you should do a boot camp. You should do that." And I'm like, I already. I'm black and queer. I don't need anybody yelling at yeah. me. I already deal with enough oppression on a daily basis. I don't need anybody in the gym doing that to me. So no. Right. Mm -mm. I just Mm -mm. like, if I'm working out, then I need that to be like, I'm doing it. Like we had this conversation before. I don't even want people to talk to me at the gym. No. So like, I don't want you yelling and telling me what I need to do and like push Mm -hmm. it harder. And no, just come on, run faster. Mind your fucking business and leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Drink your water and go over there and mind your business because I don't, want anybody that's, that's another thing like i don't want to get into too, too deep into it but ultimately that is just another thing it's like when people are at the gym uh, i could go on for days with all my peeves about the gym but that is one of my biggest peeves it's like if you see me working out you see me sweating you see me barely hanging on to the treadmill because i'm tired please don't come over to me and be like good job keep going no you just keep walking just yeah. leave me alone please so yeah, so I get it. Um, but as in terms for me, in terms of announcements, I know we randomly tangent it for me to come all the way back here. Oh right. Um, <laughs> I I don't. Oh, I oh, I do have a couple of things. One I can announce. I can't announce. Actually, I have three things that are bubbling over that I can't announce. Oh, um, but um, one of the things that I am, I'm going to be in New York. I will be doing, I, it's really cool. This is the first time that I'm ever doing. So I had done it in my previous life as a higher education professional. I had done a whole bunch of trainings, day-long trainings and helping people get things together. But this is the first time that I was ever consulted to come in and actually like train an entire department. Mm. Um, so I will be there. I will be in New York at a college. I'm, I'm learning to not tell people where I'm going. If you <laughs> follow me enough and you love, you can follow me on social media or you can follow me on my website um just out of safety precautions i won't be telling people where i will be but i will be in new york doing a training for an entire college of schools uh department and then the other thing like i said i have some other things that are bubbling over that i am really excited to announce with folks in the coming weeks so um that's that on that i am over here doing my best to keep these lights on Mm -hmm. um and that's all i think we both can do at this point so Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. We love you and we appreciate the support. Um, if you have any questions or thoughts or anything you'd like for us to chat about in the next couple of weeks, feel free to always send us an email at AskLearnt. That is L-E-A-R-N-T um, at gmail.com. I, I got someone who had asked me a question about our email before and I wanted to make sure that I clarify it's spelled just like the way it's spelled in the title. So um, asklearned at gmail.com. And with that, we thank you for listening and we will catch you on another episode. Bye. Bye. If the storm comes, if we burn up, the wells run dry You're my reason To believe in Another life If it all ends And it's over If the sky falls fire Believe me, you will see me on the other side.